could y'all give me just a second? I need, I need to refresh myself just, just a second before I start to preach. Just hold on. Oh, oh perfect. Country time, pink lemonade. Just what I need for my, just, can you wait just a second? Can you hold on just a second? Thank you so much. I just, I got to refresh myself for just one second. Mm. Oh, that, that's not very refreshing. It says pink lemonade right on the front. What, what do I need to do? What must I do? Oh, water. Oh, oh look right here. Here's the water. Can you just bear with me for just a minute? I, I just need a little, just a little bit of refreshment. Oh, look right here. Hold on. Hold just a minute. Just a minute. No, no, that's good. Just a little refreshment is all I need. Just a little refreshment. Oh. Mm. That is so good. That is so good. Mm. Thank you for your patience. Now I feel refreshed. You know, it makes me think maybe the world will experience that same refreshment. If you and I as believers, if we don't stay concentrated all in one place, but if we actually mix it up with the world, what do you think? I think that's the call that the Lord has placed on our lives, yours and mine as believers. This world needs to be refreshed and it needs to be renewed and it needs to be restored with the gospel. And the way that that's going to happen is when you and I as believers get in the world and mix it up with the world. So I pray that we'll be convicted of that this morning as we come to the passage before us. Once again, we're looking at Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'll ask you to turn there, the first book In the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter, when you've found your place, I want to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew 13, beginning in chapter, beginning in verse 31. Then Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word and It's truth. You are truth, and you've spoken it to us, and through your word, we can find direction for our lives. We can find blessing, not only for ourselves, but for the world in which we live. So we pray now that you would teach us your truth from your word, and through your truth, Lord, change our lives and make us the people that you've called us to be about the business to which you've called us. And so we submit ourselves now to your word and your truth and the work of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. Well, because the, the kingdom of heaven is so important, the concept of the kingdom of heaven is so important, and it's so vital that the disciples and then us after the disciples understand the nature of the kingdom, Jesus tells them stories about it because people like stories. People like to hear stories, they remember stories, 
And then people retell them. Oh yeah, I remember the story of the mustard seed. Oh yeah, I remember the story of the yeast. And so what Jesus is describing here when he talks about the, the kingdom of heaven is not what the kingdom might be. Someday, if if everything works out just right, Jesus describes in these parables what the kingdom of God is. And when we're talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about a kingdom where God rules and reigns over all things. That's the kingdom of heaven, where God and his sovereignty rules over all things. We're talking about a kingdom in which God has made provision for the, the rescue and the restoration of people. In other words, our salvation. That's the kingdom of heaven. God's done everything that needs to be done to rescue us. And finally, when we talk about kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the church that God has established, whereby he will advance this kingdom here on earth. That's the kingdom. It's true that the kingdom of heaven that we see right now, we have not yet seen it in its fullness. That awaits for the return of Christ. Then the kingdom of its full, in its fullness will be seen and experienced. But, but what Jesus did when he came to earth was to establish the kingdom of God right now on earth as God intends it to be. The kingdom of heaven is God's way of righting all the wrongs, of reversing everything that went wrong as a result of sin. And so with his every word and with his every action, Jesus demonstrated this, this is God's way. This is the kingdom of heaven. And we see that in his life. How often he undid the curse of sin. He healed the sick, right? The afflicted. He undid the curse of sin. Of sin. He reversed the, the all consuming focus on self by calling us to serve one another. He reversed the curse of hate by calling his people to love one another and to love even those who hate us in return. And of course, he reversed the curse of sin, which is death, by coming, becoming a curse for us, dying on the cross, raising again to new life forever reversing, forever defeating death so that we might instead have life. That's good news, right? That's the kingdom of heaven and the way Christ has come to reverse all that's wrong. This is God's way, his kingdom on earth. So last week, we talked about, partly about the nature of this kingdom. And Jesus compared it to a mustard seed and we saw that the kingdom of God is ever growing. That was encouraging to us. It's the nature of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to always be growing. World history chips away at our faith in this. Never happens. No matter how strong, no matter how mighty or powerful a nation, none of them last forever. And the greatest of them decline. But here's the good news. Not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will always be growing. It will never pass away. This morning, we have the sister parable to the parable of the mustard seed. And in this... Jesus encourages us once again with the nature of the kingdom. And this is the encouraging news from this parable. The kingdom of God is all pervasive. Look again in verse 33. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took 
and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So there you have it. That's the all-pervasive power, and that's the point of this parable. The kingdom of God cannot be limited. There is no place where the kingdom of God does not belong and cannot pervade. You know, any more than a loaf of bread comes out of the oven looking like a, a, a mountain range, you know, with peaks, tall places, and then flat valleys. And that's not what bread looks like when it comes out of the oven. It's all tall and fluffy because the yeast has pervaded all of it. And so it is with the power of the gospel. The gospel has been planted in this world. And so the gospel therefore will pervade. It will work its way through every part of it. So let me ask you, if you were there at the time that Jesus was teaching this parable from the boat, you know, what do you think Jesus' purpose was? Do you think he intended to encourage the disciples with this teaching or to discourage them? See, I believe it was to give them hope. Because Jesus very shortly is going to entrust the, the advance of this kingdom into their hands. After Jesus dies on the cross, after he's resurrected, after he ascends back to his Father in heaven, then it will be the responsibility of the apostles to begin preaching the good news of the gospel. And so what a joy it must have been for them to be able to preach this parable about the yeast. This is is the power of the pervasive gospel in your life. There's no place where it cannot go. There is no place where it cannot bring change. Now, is that good news to your ears? Yes, and so must it have been for for the, uh, the apostles as they teach the good news of the gospel. It's powerful to invade and pervade our lives and to defeat sin and death. I'm so thankful for the illustration that Jesus uses when he's talking to the Pharisee named Nicodemus that night. Jesus says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Before Kathy and I moved to Charleston, we and our five children lived in West Virginia at 1007 Tip Top Street. No kidding. Elevation 2,500 feet. We were way up there in our little house. In the winter, of course, we shut the doors and we shut the windows against the winter wind that blew across Tip Top Street where sat our little house. But still, the wind got in. And so even in the middle of the day, we would draw the curtains that had thermal backing to try to keep the wind out, but still the wind got in. And so we took towels and we stuffed them around the windows to keep the wind out, but still we couldn't keep the wind out. It got in. Now that's the end of that story. There's no good news. Like, oh, (laughs) we finally kept the wind out. We didn't. We were just cold most of the time. But nevertheless, the Spirit of God, like the wind of God, it's all pervasive. And Jesus came to establish his kingdom on earth. And his goal, God's goal, is complete restoration, complete redemption of the universe, all of it. 
not just some parts of it. No place can be found where the kingdom of heaven does not belong. And so this parable absolutely could not be more relevant than it is to you and me today in this place where we live. And if Jesus is telling his, the disciple, his disciples the truth, the question is, do you believe that Jesus is telling the disciples the truth? Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Then where does God not belong? They tell us that God does not belong in public. You know, keep, keep God out, out of public view. And unfortunately, the they often includes evangelical Christians. Keep God at home. Keep him in church. Just keep him out of public in general and out of politics specifically. Keep Christians concentrated. Keep us concentrated right here. Just don't let them flavor the drinking water, right? And so if we want to agree with that, as believers, there's some truths with which we have to deal. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He founded it. He established it. Either this is true or it isn't. Either all of the world belongs to the Lord, and all it contains, or it does not. And if it all belongs to him, Truly, then who are we to say, oh God, you don't belong in this part of what belongs to you. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now either this describes the connection that exists between heaven and earth or it does not. Either it describes the symbiotic relationship or it does not. If it does, then God is not sequestered somewhere in heaven, unallowed to come to earth. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, has a political ring to me. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. (laughs) What doesn't belong to him? Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things created by him and for him. And so again I ask, Where is the place in all creation where we can say, God, you, your rule, your kingdom, your input, they don't belong in this place. So you and I are so conditioned to think other than that. And that's why I'm so thankful for the word of the Lord because it realigns our thinking and our living and it gets it in accordance with truth. And here's why I think this is a difficult concept for us. And why Christians often believe, yeah, keep God at home or keep God here. Thomas Jefferson wrote this. Say nothing of my religion. It is known to my God and myself alone. It's evidence before the world. 
is to be salt in my life. If that has been honest and dutiful to society, then the religion which has regulated it cannot be a bad one. So you can kind of hear the intent of the author of our Declaration of Independence, the President of the United States, encouraging people to to get God out of the public sphere. Don't discuss Him. Religion is private. Religion regulates life, but certainly doesn't pervade it. He wrote this in a letter on April 21st, 1803. I am, moreover, averse to the communication of my religious tenets to the public. It behooves every man who values liberty of conscience for himself to resist invasions of it. It behooves him, too, to give no example of concession by answering questions of faith which the laws have left between God and himself. You see, keep, keep God out of, out, out of public. And these views are consistent. Jefferson is being absolutely consistent with his beliefs. Let me read you the end of the Bible that he wrote. You know, he wrote one, not new things, but he cut and pasted the New Testament together in such a way that fit his beliefs. And this is how Thomas Jefferson's Bible ends. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new sepulcher wherein never man yet laid. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The end. That's the end of the story in Jefferson's Bible. A dead man can't pervade anything, can he? What would he use to pervade with? There's no life in him. And only a God who is active and pervasive in the affairs of humans would take note of someone who was crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb and raised him to life. But that wasn't Jefferson's view of God. He just was a product of his time. And his time was the, the height of the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment was a time to topple monarchies, right? That's what we did. 1776, we toppled the monarchy. France followed in 1789. During the Enlightenment, scientific discovery was on the rise in earnest. And instead of seeing God in creation and all that they were discovering in this scientific method, they kicked God out of the process, the discovery process. And the world he ordered, go away, they said, you have no place here. And so God's monarchy was toppled as well, and now we're getting somewhere, you know, with kings toppled and with God out of the way, not in the sense that they didn't believe he exists, but simply in the sense that, that he was not involved, he wasn't important to the process, then we are free to rule ourselves, right? And isn't that what we've been after, human beings, since the very beginning of time, since the Garden of Eden? Satan, the serpent, knew that. And so what does he say to Adam and Eve in the garden? Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I.e., is God really trying to control your life? Don't allow that. And so we read, and if you're like my generation, we memorize words like these. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted by men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And so you see the worldview here. God endows us with rights, and then God goes off on his own not to be bothered again. Instead, governments are put in place to rule, and they rule only by the consent of those ruled. Now, my intent, please, is not to bore you with history. Somebody said, too late for that. (laughs) And I hope you don't hear me bashing America, because absolutely I am not. How thankful we should be for the freedoms that God has given us. And the impact that we can have with the gospel because of them. But we've got to see how our DNA as a nation lines up with God's DNA that he has implanted in his kingdom. And if those two don't match, then it's incumbent upon us to get in line with the truth of God's word. And the truth is that our country was birthed during an age that had erected this false dichotomy. An age that disallowed God and the kingdom of God from being yeast, from being all-pervasive. An age that shut the doors and shut the windows and stuffed towels in the cracks and drew the curtains and says, God, you don't belong here. Over here, yes. Over here, no. But what a silly attitude. What a silly attitude to have toward the God who created And who minute by minute sustains the world and all that is in it. And how silly for us as Christians to bend to this false dichotomy. To act as if it were true. To keep our place over here. Here we are. We'll stay right here and we won't bother anybody. How wrong we are. To believe that God's truth has no place in public dialogue. Where do you think the government got all their good ideas anyway? Really? They got them from the church. Who created the first hospitals to give medical care to people who couldn't afford to pay for it? Who did it? The church. It was believers who risked their lives caring for the poor, led by their pastors. That's what the church was known for. Then the government said, oh, that's a good idea to take care of people. Let's take over health care. Are we glad that government recognizes the rightness of God's plan to care for the sick? Absolutely. Should we be okay with being dismissed from the discussion? Church, you can go away now. We got our idea from you. We don't need your input on medical ethics. And we don't need to hear your views on the sanctity of life. Should we cede our ground and go gently into that good night? What do you say? No. Who said the poor must be cared for? Ah, let me see. It was the church who said that. It was the church who sold their belongings and gave the proceeds so that no one among them had any need. It was the church's idea to care for the poor because it was God's idea to care for the poor. And then the government said, oh, look, what a good idea. We should take care of the poor. Are we glad the government has seen the need to take care of the poor? Yes, that is God's way. Should we be okay with being dismissed from the task that God has commanded to us to care for the poor? Should we be dismissed? No. Who came up with the idea of dispelling ignorance and replacing it with truth? That was the church, right? 
Who built the first universities? The church built the first universities. Why? You know one veritas truth. There is one truth. And who is truth? God is truth. And so it was the church that saw the need to educate people, to dispel ignorance and teach them the truth. Is it a good thing that the government sees the need to educate people and to teach truth? Yes, we should be glad about that. But should it be okay with us for the government to say, well, we'll take over education now. And by the way, God has no place in the realm of public education. Should we be okay with that? Absolutely not. And so it appears that before Jesus, the Lord, who said the kingdom of God is like yeast that worked itself into the entire loaf, that we have retreated. That we have believed the lie, that we have no voice. We believe the lie that says we belong over here and nowhere else. And so we have not been the pervasive truth, gospel bears that God has called us to be. And you know what we do? We often use Jesus' words to excuse ourselves. Because when Jesus stood before Pilate, Jesus himself said, My kingdom is not of this world. Whew, we're off the hook, baby. God's kingdom is not of this world. We don't have to worry about it. Yes, true, but no, not true. Jesus simply means that his kingdom does not spring from. It does not originate in this world, which is precisely the point. The world gets it wrong most of the time. And that's why war and poverty and injustice of every kind persistently exist throughout the world. A kingdom without God will not truly help right any of these wrongs that God does not want to see in this world. And the answer to these problems won't come spring from earthly means. And so Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But they did not fight because the world's way was not Jesus' way. And that's the point. His kingdom is different. And it's established by means other than those of the world. And that's why the kingdom of heaven must be pervasive. Wherever it is shut out, There is no hope. And so the parable before us this morning should break us out of our dualistic thinking. Jesus wants us to make a difference in this world. Do you believe that? He does. He wants us to make a difference in this world. Not by huddling together somewhere right here and waiting for the next kingdom to come. No, he wants us in the world. The woman in this parable did not put the yeast beside the dough. She didn't put the yeast under the dough. She didn't suspend the yeast above the dough. Where did she put the yeast? She put it in the dough and the yeast went to work. So Jesus is teaching us and his disciples That we are not to believe. We are not to believe that his kingdom is incompatible with this world. We are not to leave this world to decay in darkness. In establishing the kingdom of heaven, the Lord did not intend to erect an, an 
organization over against the world. He meant to introduce yeast into the world. You and me, believers in Christ, gospel carriers, plunged into the midst of society. The yeast works for the benefit of all. Business, science, literature, art, politics, medicine, Social structure, domestic life, doesn't matter. All of them are to be pervaded and changed and purified by the gospel. So as we read this morning, Jesus' prayer from John chapter 17, the upper room, the last night of his life. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then before Jesus left them for the last time to ascend into heaven and to return to his Father, he says to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. See, God is reclaiming the world through the church and the pervasive power of the gospel. And it's through the church, you and me, believers in Christ, that love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that God addresses the wrongs and the malfunctions of this world. But only as you and I are yeast in the world. Not imposing our worldview on everyone else. History has shown us that does not work. It's done when you and I clothe ourselves in Christ. And that's what Scripture calls us to do. Finish with these words from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach And admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So there you have it. In the boardroom, or the classroom, or the senate chamber, or the art gallery, or the operating room, or the family room, doesn't matter. We are clothed. With Christ, because we have thrown open the windows, and we've thrown open the doors, and we've opened the curtains, and we've said, Spirit of God, blow through us, truth of God, penetrate every part of my being. And when you and I have opened ourselves up to the work of the Spirit and the power of His truth, what comes out of our mouths? Words of grace and truth. What actions come of us from us? Acts of love and compassion. That's how you and I go into the world. You and me. Into, into the place 
that God has called us. That's where we must go, pervading it with the good news of Jesus Christ. Then we will make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. And the kingdom of heaven will both pervade and prevail. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word that is truth. Father, how encouraged are we by the power of the gospel just from this parable? Lord, what hope we have that the gospel can be planted in and then pervade all of our lives. Lord, every area of our life can be changed and transformed by the gospel. That is our hope. Lord, our hope is that there's nothing that can stand against your gospel. It is powerful. So we thank you for that work of the gospel in us. Father, we entrust ourselves to you and to your timeline and when and how you will bring about that change. That's up to you to decide because you are the sovereign God and you're teaching us and you're teaching others through our lives and what you do in us and through us. And so we trust you for that, but our hope is that the gospel is powerful. Not only in our own, our own lives, but in this world as well. Lord, forgive us for being grumbling, mumbling, woe is me Christian who look at the world and throw up our hands in despair as if we have no hope. We have hope, Lord, and it's in you, and it's in your power, and it's in your gospel. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the confidence to believe that we have a voice in this world. It's your world. Of course you have a place in it. Of course your truth belongs in it. And, Lord, it's only by your truth that real change will come to this place. Real issues can be dealt with. Issues of injustice and everything that we see around us, Lord, through your power. As your people are yeast and speak your truth and your gospel in the world in which you've placed us. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be people who are bold and who by faith move out into this world. In the power of the gospel and of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.